Hi guys, welcome back to Life of Living Abundantly with Lola. For all of my new subscribers, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on this healing journey. Um, today we're going to be doing a question and answer. So in this Q&A, my podcast producer will be asking me the questions and I will answer. And if you feel like there is something you would like to know, just um, drop them in the comments or email us and we will try and answer them. Or if you feel like we need to elaborate on something, we are more than welcome to do so. My first question for you is just like, what is your backstory, I guess? Starting from childhood, what was your family life like? Oh boy, that's like a 20 minute answer. Um, I was born in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, and it is a small town. Uh, some people know Monroe, um, and that's the city that I was born, but where we actually lived, it was a little town called Scott, um, putting them on the map there. And all of my family are from St. Martinville and Lafayette, which is my father's family and my mother's family are from St. Martinville. We moved to Tennessee at the age of eight. And my dad had worked for a couple of companies and then eventually became an entrepreneur. And he did carpentry, painting, like everything that you can think of with housing. But his biggest thing was doing carpet. My mother was the supportive wife. She held a full-time job where my dad uh, pursued entrepreneurship and she held insurance <clears throat> while raising uh, myself. And I have two brothers and an older sister and I am the middle child. So um, every year I can remember growing up, it was very lonely not having family here um, but my dad made sure that for two whole weeks, he would work like none other um, during the week, during the year. And then for two weeks for Christmas, we would go back to Louisiana. And then sometimes we would go for like a week in the summer. And all of my cousins, my family, every, everybody is there. And he did have a couple of brothers who would um, come and stay here in Tennessee and then one brother actually lived in Franklin, Tennessee, but they moved back shortly after. I was not an overachiever. I was definitely not an underachiever. I was a follow the rules type of girl. Don't color outside of the lines. Do what you're asked. Um, be quiet. Um, I remember my second grade teacher that was still at Elio Jadis in Scott, Louisiana, and um, I think her name was Miss Pac-Man. She was my favorite teacher I can think of in elementary. Um, my parents, um, I admired my parents so much when I was a little girl, like just the way they worked together. I remember how we would travel and they wouldn't skip a beat. My dad would get the gas and my mom would be getting the snacks or cutting up peanut butter jelly sandwiches. Like I just admired the way that they ebb and flowed. My dad would come home from work at night. She had his plate set out. And it's a lot of Southern things that you're not <clears throat> like used to in today's society, but that's how, 
even how I was as a wife, you know, you just kind of cater, they're working hard. And my mom worked outside of the home too. Um, but I, I would say my parents, I, once I became a teenager, like I could see like they were a role model in some, some regards as far as, um, teamwork. Um, but a lot, a lot was on my mom. We did basketball, we did karate. Um, I had a brother, um, my oldest brother, he would get in trouble quite a bit. Um, my youngest brother and myself, we were thick as thieves and I was pretty distant from my sister. Even I shared a room with her, but today me and my sister talk every day now, like every day. And it could be about absolutely nothing. (laughs) You did make me think of something when you were like, you're, uh, you, you're a follow the rules type. Um, I'm like that too. Do you find that people have tried to take advantage of that? Like they see that for me, people think I'm like a goody two shoes when really I just like things to be in order Mm -hmm. and I like to, I'm very organized. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that people will take advantage of that. Like they'll, they know that you got it. They know that, um, I say don't like places to be messy. So they'll leave it messy because they assume like she'll clean it up or something mm-hmm. like that. Do you, have you found that in like friendships or even like your past marriage? Was that something that you noticed? Mm-hmm. The first thing that I thought of was in school projects. You're going with Miss Dependable. I was probably the feistiest and more most outspoken in high school. And then once I had my first real job in high school, which was at a clothing department store, it was, we know we can depend that she's going to get it done. So people become, um, overly dependent on the reliable one but then the reliable one eventually gets worn out quicker and then when I started working I was always the follow the rules get it done check your list very organized everything stays in a box and later in life you'll find that there is um not like a bad type of controlling ways but you'll be able to discover in life why do you feel like you had to control your environment so much? And um, there were chaotic parts of my childhood. There, there were great parts, but there were still chaotic parts of my childhood where you compartmentalize that kind of shapes you into being this organizer, rule follower, don't get in trouble. And it was this fear of getting in trouble. So <clears throat> on the job, absolutely. Like I feel like I was taken advantage of on every end for being the more responsible one. And and I remember I worked at a hospital and I was just like, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everybody just lays it on the end of the totem pole and I'm, I'm doing things that I'm not qualified to do, but because I'm dependable, it's going to get done right. Yeah. I feel that. Especially like group projects. I remember in high school, like, teaming up or having to be grouped with people who were slackers Mm -hmm. and 
I didn't want to get a bad grade, so I just started pulling everybody else's Every's weight. Every's weight, yep, everybody's and weight. It made me mad, but I had no choice because I wasn't about to get a failing grade. Mm-hmm. But I also liked when, like, the teacher um, allowed us to grade each other. Yeah. Because then I couldn't really, like... Get them uh, back. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And but. then as far as in my marriage, absolutely. Um, now that I look back on things and I can see how things kind of fell apart and it's hard to say for somebody that I don't have any type of relationship or communication with, but the interactions or the picture that I can see of that person, it really shows me how much I held. I was the glue to a lot of stability for that person. And they, um, they were dependent at some point in You know, I talked about in one of the other episodes of how they train you to think, how they train you to move, because you're making moves that makes their lives easier. You must have a lot of dependency on someone and trust um, and control to trust that that person's going to make absolute great decisions for you. So everything was just laid in my lap. And because I didn't want my children to suffer, I didn't want to suffer. That's financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically. I just cleaned it up. Like in any scenario you can think of when I say I just cleaned it up because it was just easier that way. There's no backlash in case something is out of sorts, Um, whether it was the bills, um, uh, straightening out the finances, getting the kids' school schedules together, um, what travel we did do, which was a little bit, not very much. I had to plan that, you know, Um, and then eventually that puts a toll on you because if anything goes wrong, whose fault is it? And the other person didn't take any responsibility for it, but they will sure take credit. So, (laughs) yeah. Had you ever like experienced experienced or witnessed um, any type of the abusive behavior that you did in your past marriage? And I guess for those who are new, could you give like a brief overview of, I guess, the meaning behind this platform? The meaning behind this platform, um, in short, is... Um, I was told very vividly, very loudly that it was very important that I share my story because it goes so deep. And by sharing my story, I am supposed to encourage, empower, and educate other women about control, power, and emotional and psychological abuse. Um, And clearly that's because I lived in um, a marriage that was... um, I'll just say I endured enough and then finally I needed to leave and that goes into that person taking advantage of you hold everything together. You'll never leave because divorce is not right, you know, and being a a woman of faith, like you'll never leave. Like I don't forgive you, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, created this platform then after telling my story to be able to eventually give other women a voice um, to tell their stories if they have one. And I don't want it to just be, you know, sob stories. There's, there's victory on the other end. 
And then I want to grow this to a place where we, I, I, I'm an example, um, but I more so think of myself as, um, <laughs> I, I think a vessel in order to just show hope, you know, as I go through so many different details. And then I want other women to talk about how they started their businesses or their careers or their lives. And we need to talk about money. We need to talk. We need to just start having conversations as women that when I was talking about like my childhood stuff that were taboo, like that we cannot talk about right now. And when we get married and we're expected to play out these roles and we're just trying to reenact what our parents did, we're reenacting all of their mistakes. And no one wants to talk about that out loud. So I want I want this just to be a real conversational platform so that if the topic fits, you know, listen and know that it is so authentic, that it is so real. I don't always look like I'm in front of a camera. And this is the beginning stages. And even this is very weird. But like, I like to slap my knee and laugh about some of the mistakes I've made in life. Yeah. You know, that's what this, I want this to grow into. And I want it to be a community. I want it to be a family. Um, and I've, I thought that this was just going to be for women, but I want to support boyfriends and husbands and men along this journey too, because the biggest thing that whenever we do air the episode with me and Danette is that women have this expectation of men are just supposed to know. Yeah. No, they don't. No, they don't. And the, uh, the another thing that I'm excited about is just what the next chapter of my life looks like in that journey in um, courtship and marriage. Yeah. And now I understand what true love is all about. Now I, so getting into even some couple stories and hearing some of that and me sharing my heart, like, I get it now. Like I know every bit, every fiber of my being, I know what love is and sustainable love. So. Okay. Um, so uh, back to the question. <laughs> uh, were there any like patterns in your earlier relationships <clears throat> that I mean, that were like similar to what you experienced in your marriage, or was oh, that just gosh. like a one-off thing that was like, how did I get into this? So that's an easy question. Like the people that I've dated in my past, it wasn't even dating. Like back in the day, it was like, oh yeah, I'm talking to, or you know, yeah. you're messing with, or, and those people absolutely did not have those characteristics. Like absolutely not it was a an extended friendship and you talk to these people I mean the the people of my past like even today I could have a conversation with and I am sure maybe maybe a couple not every single one of them it ain't many you know mm -hmm. um that would probably have some regrets as to how they treated me just because they were just being a man. They were just being a boy, you know? Um, but no, and I, I don't think any of them, um, it'd be interesting about one. 
um, I think on the other spectrum of things I questioned, like his wellness, if that makes sense. Um, but no, this definitely wasn't a pattern of me constantly like getting set up with or in the same abusive types of relationships. And I got married at 22. So yeah, I didn't have much experience. Can you like remember the first time where he did something that made you like, uh, (laughs) like question, um, I guess what was going on, like where it switched, I guess. Good question. Um, when I had told the story about he got mad because my sister had called me at work, um, I think we were married nine months and I was standing like in the doorway of the master bedroom and he punched his fist like beside my head. You know, it didn't, it, he did not hit me. And that's going to be the title of one of my books. He didn't hit me. Um, And he left that hole, which connects to your previous question. He left that hole there for for probably two months as a constant reminder. Don't get me mad. And um, I can say it only had to get cleaned up probably because somebody was coming over to the house finally. And that was of my doing of saying, we need to fix this. But I mean, I didn't know how to patch a hole. Now I would have patched it myself. You know? Well, now, honey, we ain't even going to be in those situations. But yeah. that that was that was a cleanup situation. You know, he yeah, that was that was the first. This is not OK when he did that. And yeah. Uh, the audience wants to hear the full story. That's huh? episode three or four. Oh, for the people who haven't heard the full story. Yes. Um. The next question. <laughs> I'm trying to make this so like <laughs> natural and flowy, but it's like the next I'm question is. Notes. <laughs> but I, so I know your girls are still currently. Um, Dealing with the, um, your girls are still dealing with the divorce and just having to deal with the abusive parent and the fact that they have to witness a parent be abused. Mm -hmm. So how are they um, coping with it? right now like how or how have you taught them to deal with the just the tension and everything I Mm -hmm. guess because I don't know I don't know their full relationship with their dad but Mm -hmm. I I don't know what you told me um I'm just curious as to how you taught them because you know it's so easy for um I know when sometimes people break up I always hear stories of the mom talking bad about the dad mm-hmm. and sometimes the dad isn't even bad but in this situation yeah. yeah this situation is different so how do you teach them how to handle that first I um they they have counseling like 
it was very consistent for like two years and now it's kind of intermittent. Um, number two, I have never said anything bad about their dad a and the things that he has done. I have never, even Nora, she'll be like, oh, look what, you know, and I'm like, wow. <gasps> yay! You know, I, his picture is in her room. She has a, 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 a little bracelet of him on her door. Like, I embrace and give her all of that, that she loves her dad. And I want to clarify something that is um, kind of heartbreaking. Um, my older two children desperately desire a relationship with their dad. You know, um, and the hurt and the pain and what they have witnessed. I think if if he would have that moment with his God, his Lord, his Savior, and just could find an understanding within himself and accountability. Um, you have more adult years with your parents than you do childhood. Mm -hmm. So much of that could be rectified. As of right now, the damage that has been done and the things that they have seen, I'm sure there's some that they block out. You know, that's why it's called trauma. You know, sometimes your body can't take anymore. Yeah. Um, and they now know how to manage fires. They manage the weekends, they manage the time. And um, they are the healthiest, sweetest children that I've ever seen. And though one has like a lot of anger, um, she will always leave that door open for him. But I think they will always be waiting for him to be the adult in the situation, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but just some really great counseling, some really great coping skills. And it was after the new year, um, it was January of this year, or maybe it was December. My oldest said, mommy, I want to thank you. And I now understand. And I was like, what's up? You know, and she said, I want to thank you for never saying anything bad about my dad because I get that perception and maybe she didn't use the word perception but now they get to see it all for themselves mm -hmm. and they're 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 watching the dynamics of who he is how he is and his family dynamics that 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 perception is theirs so there's I'm trying to answer this lightly because they'll get to tell their story one day yeah so and they're how old um 16 13 and 6 do you think you stayed in your marriage as long as you did because y'all had the kids or because there were like highs and lows in the relationship where when you're on a high, you're like, okay, it's not that bad anymore. And then you're on a low and you're like, maybe it's time to like. What you said, the highs are so amazing and the lows are. I, I, they're, they're, it's just, it's chaotic. Um, I stayed in the marriage because I loved him, you know, mm -hmm. um, because of those highs. And then I was so sympathetic and empathetic. 
Um, I'm what's known as an empath, I guess. And you understand their hard times. You understand why they go through what they go through. And they put that stuff in your lap to be able to get away with some of these things, though. That That's what women need to know. Um, don't come laying your stuff in, in my lap. Like, you have to be able to handle that. And I stayed also, yes, for my children. And I mean, my master's in marriage and family therapy, I know the statistics of children growing up in a one-parent household. They're not good. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you add the chaotic relationship of the parents through the divorce process, it heightens their chances of being at-risk youth. And, you know, just all kinds of bad statistics that I'm not even going to lay on our lives. Um but I will say that is the the biggest guilt and it was the longest guilt that I had to work through was staying in so long and how much they were exposed to. So before y'all were married, did y'all do any counseling, any premarital counseling or like during marriage? Did you go to any counseling? And with that, if you didn't, do you recommend it for a couple? Short answer, absolutely. You should not get married without going to counseling. Yes, we did do premarital counseling. And we had did it through um, Reverend Murray. He was uh, one of my adolescent pastors, you know. Um, and then <clears throat> we did the six sessions. And the biggest red flag in that was, you know, I was in, I was working on my master's. I knew what I was going to do. Like I, I had, remember that we live in this box and we control, we're very organized. We live by the rules, you know, and you have this little plan worked out. Mm -hmm. And, um, we were in there and then he said, all right, let's talk about money. And I was like, well, I'm going to be a counselor and I think I'm supposed to make like $45,000 a year. And he said, She'll do better than that. And then he was, the pastor was just like, that's about average, you know, breaking in the, the field of counseling, you know. Um, and he says, well, I don't even believe in counseling. And I'll just leave it at that. And to this day, he still makes fun of me being a counselor. He calls me the unlicensed counselor. That'll be a chapter in my book, too. Wow. Mm-hmm. So while you were like experiencing the psychological abuse and even like through your divorce, were you still like counseling other people? <laughs> Absolutely. Did that have an effect at all? Like were you, well, for one, were, <laughs> and I hope this isn't like bad, but was, what was going on in your life affecting the answers you were giving to other people? Or did you feel like really heavy mm -hmm. dealing with your own problems and then taking on other people's problems as well? The best thing I can say about that process, which was very lengthy, it was almost two years. Um, and then the post was, it's two years. Um, remember we, we talked about our personality traits. So I've always had a moral compass. And um, I purposely backed off of a lot of my cases and especially like my high conflict cases and my divorce mediation. I didn't do them for probably two years and my certification lapsed. And that's what I'm dealing with now um, because I knew that I couldn't. I literally prayed about 
every single person that hit my caseload. And during my divorce, my front desk receptionist came and told me, I don't know what's going on, but you have yet another couple, narcissistic abuse, wanting to see you. It was constant. And she said, do you want me to give it to somebody else? And then I said, no. So that's when you're like realizing that God is speaking. There was something in this for me. Because you're in denial that your spouse, the love of your life, the person you chose is this person, you know? And I learned so much through my clients. It, it, the whole thing was a healing journey for me. And in particular, I remember that I about lost it. Um, I was meeting with one client, one of the best clients that I, I can honestly say that I've gotten to see the, the fruition of some of his counseling journey. And, and I looked at him and I said, I just can't understand how I'm, look, I'm sitting across from you and I'm about to tell you something that God had to sp speak to me that you are going through this journey so that you do something about it. You are being called to talk to other people about your journey. And he's, he's wrapped up in a child custody case where he was falsely being accused. But then here it is, I'm in a child custody case and I'm accusing some, like it, it's, it's mind boggling and psychologically you're all, you know, and we're having this conversation. And then I said, so I'm gonna say to you what I think is, transpiring in my life is that this is happening not to you but for you and what you do with this information and how you take it and help other people through their pain and I just knew I just knew it was an out-of-body experience of when I ask why me Lord why me you know and later I find out at a conference in 22 um, I don't remember her name um, she, the CC one and um, it was her manager. She was at a conference speaking and she looked dead at me, you know, she said, he trusts you. He knows you're going to do exactly what he needs you to do. That's why he gave this to you. And here I am on this platform. So. Okay. Wow. <clears throat> well, when you were going through what you were going through and even still to this day, what are some things that you did to, um, to heat, to start the healing process where they're like, special activities you did or do, I should say, mm -hmm. do you read? Are there any books that are helping you? Any podcasts? Podcasts, um, out the wazoo. Like, I, I stay away from all of the podcasts and the dating advice and the alpha female, female. Like, the, the, all that, those are so lost, you know. Um, I like I mean, I'm, I'm in my 40s, so I like the Dear Future Wifey podcast. I like um, Anthony O'Neill. I love um, Tim Ross. You know, I, I feel like those things are relatable and going in a journey of where I want my life to be, and they kind of circle back from what I've healed from. My healing process was um, all kind of self-help books, all kind of self-help journals, and um, I wrote more than you can think of, which is basically... I started writing two books, and those books are just an extended journal. Um, I went to conferences. I listened to different um, inspirational motivationals, um, all the self-healing books. I went even back to the Oprah days and read some of those things, and I did counseling. Like, I, and, and my biggest therapy 
were my solids. I, I have this circle of friends that are um, fortitude, man. That's all I can say. Like, they let me get it out and they let me talk and they reasoned with me. And even in moments that I wasn't rational, they let me be exactly who I needed to be in that moment. And when I start talking about, I'm gonna do that, because I'm human. No, you're not. <laughs> I know you're right. You're right. You're right. Because somebody has to be that role model for these three children, you know, and mm -hmm. girls at that. So one thing that I did did realize that was the the breaking of my perfection. Because when you're in these abusive relationships, nothing you do is good enough. So you are the most perfect human that anyone could possibly be. And yes, I know that sounds crazy. I was this perfect human. I was so afraid of making mistakes. I was so afraid of getting in trouble or doing something wrong that I built this life of high intense anxiety of never failing because of the backlash of what I had to deal with if I did. So I realized I can't raise three daughters under like thinking that I'm perfect and passing that down to them. So that things got real messy. The house, the, and I'm a very clean person, don't get me wrong, like how we did things in certain orders because we had to shake up a lot of that trauma. So how we rode in the car, I took different routes, like I had to show them that we were perfectly imperfect. Life is chaotic. It is. And that that's not like in a bad sense of chaotic because I live in a world of such peace. Like that is the, the biggest thing I fought for is my peace, you know. But this journey is going to show failure. Failure is your preparation that's setting you up for something so much bigger. I love no's now. Yeah. You know, I need you to understand that a lot of what I'm talking about is 20, well, not that many, but maybe... 10 years or 15 years of life being lived. And some of those things comes with life where you learn, you know, who, who's, who's judging me? You know, you know, that's, that's why God says I'm, I'm, I'm the judge, the jury, yeah. you know, and the executioners. Like you've got to let go of some of that. But I like the fact that you took accountability. Like you're the one sitting there judging everybody else, you know, for being chaotic, but I just don't know anybody who has it all together. And and trigger. Trigger is when I was this young mom. I lived in this beautiful home on the golf course, you know, and um, I was washing the dishes and a friend of mine, she, she was there and she said, you just have it all together. It is such a trigger because I don't. Yeah. I don't. And I don't know who or what or why has shaped or conditioned us to feel like we've got it, we've got to have it all together and balanced. Shonda Rhimes said it best. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't. Like, like the energy that I can serve at minimum is to get up and those girls. Yeah. That's sometimes my minimum. You know, but you are, you are one of those people. I tell you, you, you got it. And there is a small percentage of people who got it. 
you know, but you got to believe it. Yeah. I can't keep telling you. And the expectations of a firstborn being the mother of a child who is a firstborn overachiever, straight A's, said she's a life failure because of her ACT score, which was nothing compared to what mine was. And she's now got an 89, I think, in chemistry. And she says, dumb. I'm like, okay. All right, dummy, get the car. <laughs> you know, like, what do you want me to say? Yeah. Which is, Hilarious. which is, she, she's amazing. And she, she reminds me a little bit of you, you know? Um, but I tell her all that pressure you put on yourself. I never tell my child to do her homework. It's the pressure we put on ourselves. That's what it is. But it's something we as parents instilled as far as, I know my parents did an amazing job with me. But even when you give life in this world, your job is to tell that child, I want you to do it better and I want you to have more. But I, they tell you that because I want you to have it easier. Mm-hmm. But not even we can save you from that. Because if you work, you have money. Then you won't have financial issues and you opens up these doors. You get your education and you know, that, 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 and you clean up and then you teach other people and then you're this huge role model. Everybody's looking at you. And you're like, hey, guess what? I'm not good. Am I still your role model? You're more of my role model if you were able to say that. Yeah. Because that's how I live my life now. And it takes, it's more pressure when people see you as a role model and then they see you fail without you trying to like show that. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's like against you. I feel that with... um I guess like celebrities, how people look up to celebrities and things and mm-hmm. when something comes out to show like this is a human person and they mm-hmm. have their own beliefs that are not like purposely shown, mm-hmm. then it's like fans are distraught. Like, I thought you were, the- no, mm-hmm. that was your perception of me. And now this side is being shown to you. Mm-hmm. And I guess you're having to deal with, I don't know how that makes a person feel to be seen as a role model and then to be like uh, thrown away when a human side of them is shown. Mm-hmm. I don't think that anybody is truly thrown away because to be that role model, you have your village. Your village is always uplifting you and holding you up. You expect for the public to diminish you. Like there's always going to be somebody younger, hotter, skinnier, fatter, prettier, what, whatever it's going to be that's going to ebb and flow like it things evolve um so I don't think they're ever just like thrown away or placed to the side I can honestly say like in my profession like you have to make sure that you never exploit anyone and the biggest thing that I get is is them having the perception well you've got it all together and and that's where I break down now that I know that this is my purpose and a calling you know I tell people like you know, I'm human too, right? I almost want to tell them like, you know what the digestive system does and we all have to do it together. Like everybody does it, you know? Um, I have failures. I'm divorced. Like, you know, the the biggest thing that I thought was my my lowest moment is I could not pass my licensure exam. Like God now has now revealed to me and I would have limited you. None of this would have existed. None of it. You know, um, and 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 my my business, my practice is what I used in my 
divorce process and I didn't finish answering that question where I used meditation, I used yoga, I used a spa room, I got massage therapy, you know. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> are you, are you um, currently seeking a relationship or dating and did it... <laughs> Dude, like right? how do you know well if you are how did you know you were like ready for that next stage coming out of a, well not like coming out of the, a divorce but being like what two years out it's been two years the whole process has been this fall will be four years that I've been dealing with so are you currently seeking a relationship or are you currently dating mic check mic check she went there. I am. Okay. Not. You're not. Dating. I do not care or have interest to date. I would like to be courted because I am a wife. I am a queen. And the reason why I know that I'm ready, because I'm able to say that out loud. And I am not interested in anyone wasting my time. The insight of anybody looking on my in my life with my three children, the two businesses, the staff, running a household. I am not interested in wasting anybody's time, so I don't want them wasting mine. So they've got to come with the same intentions. And how I know that I'm ready is I ask my counselor, my therapist said, you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, last Thursday. Oh, wow. um, and because you begin to feel and you know when you are ready, you know, and then that trauma is like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, you know, and you question some of the things when I'm going back and forth in my mind, then I know to back up, you know, um, but I know what I want. And like I said, like, I know what love is. And now that I'm operating in my calling, I'm operating in the purpose that God has me here. It took me to go through something to actually embrace that, you know, and to understand that. So my partner is he he's right there. He's right there somewhere. I can't put my finger on him. He is waiting to help and ride along this journey to have me serve and live out my purpose. And, and I am so excited because I now understand that mm -hmm. to be so supportive, to be his front run, like to, to, to support him. I'm not intervening what God has called this man to do. So he's knowing, knowing that I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming. And I know that he's coming, but that alignment is for both of us to live out our purpose and what we are here to, to do in this journey called life and he is going to be so loved by yes me of course but the nature of my daughters and how they have to sit back and watch their mom do all of this alone they're gonna love him for just showing up you know so he has to come prepared and healed and ready to actually retain and accept love. So I'll just end it here. Uh, so what does that look like for somebody that wants to 
pursue you? Because I think you said before you're not on dating apps, right? Nope. Me either. Um, it's a joke. <laughs> not going back. <laughs> well, don't go back. <laughs> well, where can like the men find you then? At work. At work, guys. Y'all can find it at work. Schedule an appointment. <laughs> Field day. I guess, yeah. Places where kids would be. Saunders Mill Road. <laughs> I travel to Houston. So <laughs> I need to do a better job making myself available. But again, like I think that God is going to align those paths, but I don't want to be the person sit back not doing anything about it. Right. I, again, when you say, when I said like I feel things being orchestrated. There's just a couple of events that have happened in my life and I haven't even updated you on my recent no. I remember what I just said about no's. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Can I tell this story? Sure. No. Yeah. Well, let me, let me answer that one. So I have to, to put myself out there, I guess. Um, but I'm going to make time for what I want. So when it comes in, I'm already prepared to make those moves. Like, I I get it. I just, I'm not going to stress out and worry how we're going to come together. Um, I don't don't know. I don't know how I'm going to find him. I don't know how he's going to find me. Because I go home. I'm in Target and Home Goods. I circle Chick-fil-A quite a bit. Not not because I eat it all the time. I go for my children, you know. I eat the girls. Maybe he's watching. I do believe that. I do believe that. I do believe that because I was very clearly told that I'm going to meet him along this journey. And I do believe part of our paths aligning is that maybe our purposes will be similar. Yeah. So I think that's, um, I've heard, I think it's how it's supposed to be like your purposes. Mm -hmm will align i've also heard that as like eve was adam's helpmate you're going your purpose is supposed to help him with something Mm -hmm. interested to see that be great if he was a writer or a scrim like write the story of my life because it's a lifetime movie and (laughs) if that is his purpose baby i've got your script like i have got your and guess what i don't want to dime from it because I have been called to share my story mm-hmm. and put it on a platform where it reaches the people it needs to reach. Period. Period. So if that's if, if I got a story though. You do. <laughs> and I think that's a great spot to end so you can let people know where to follow you and where to watch the other episodes. Well, I guess if they're already on YouTube watching this. Yes. YouTube at Life of Living Abundantly, um, Instagram Life of Living Abundantly, as well as TikTok Life of Living Abundantly. You can email us at Life of Living Abundantly at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen, I'm looking for people to interview for the podcast. Like, I want to do this. If you want to share your story, that's the hardest thing. I'm, I cannot get people to share their story. I'm now seeing how bold this move is. But if you want to share your story, if you want to tell about your business, if you want to be on a platform, 
if you have any desire to um, be vetted to come on our platform, please email us at lifeoflivingabundantly at gmail.com. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. That's right. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. Please, please, please comment. I know y'all are watching. Like It shows how many views it is, so just like it so that pet peeve. I know this is the end, but there is so much content that is getting pushed that is by some very unhealthy individuals and groups. And it's talking about things that didn't even grow us. That's not even sustainable. But the people who are putting content out there that they have been called to do, their, their platforms look like this when it should be the loudest. And, and I knew that going into this. But you guys, there is such unhealthy information. Like, seek ye the kingdom of God. <laughs> like, just be careful of who you allow to be your influence, to who you allow to be um, your your guru or your God. Like, stop. That's all I'm asking. Like, just be mindful. Like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you.